This is Jeb Blunt, the author of Inked, the ultimate guide to powerful closing and sales negotiation tactics that unlock yes and seal the deal. And you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing fields of modern marketing and sales. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book podcast. If I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you some time. And if you have a question that I can answer, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com and I might play it and answer it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. And now, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency called Artillery, where we work primarily with manufacturers and industrial companies who call us in when they're serious about growth, but have realized that their old school marketing and sales is almost completely ineffective at attracting the modern buyer who doesn't want to be marketed or sold to. In our engagements with clients, we take a sales-based approach to their marketing and help them align their sales and marketing around their most profitable target customers, arm the sales team with technology to make selling easier, create sales content that makes buying easier, not to mention getting better results on Google, and then show them how to insource as much of the marketing as possible. For more about us, visit salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Jeb Blunt back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the fourth time to talk about his latest book, Inked, The Ultimate Guide to Powerful Closing and Sales Negotiation Tactics That Unlock Yes and Seal the Deal, published by Wiley. Jeb Blunt is the author of 11 books and among the world's most respected thought leaders on sales, leadership, and customer experience. Through his global training organization, Sales Gravy, which is the coolest company name and perhaps only something someone from the state of Georgia could get away with, Jeb and his team help a who's who of the world's most prestigious organizations reach peak performance fast by optimizing talent, leveraging training to cultivate a high-performance culture, developing leadership and coaching skills, and applying more effective organizational design. And interesting fact When not in the midst of a global pandemic, Jeb spends over 250 nights on the road each year delivering keynote speeches and training programs around the world, which is why he is the hardest working man in sales. Yes, Jeb Blunt is the James Brown of sales. Jeb, congratulations on Inked and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, sir. And I'm, you know, here's the what I want. Like this is my secret wish is that you could just follow me around, and before I walk on a stage anywhere, like you announce me, because that would be, like that would be the ultimate luxury. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and they could have a microphone just drop down on the stage, like at the boxing ring, and then I can add in some. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble. But as long like as that. you, you, your walk-on music does need to be uh, James Brown music, which uh, <laughs> I'm still. I've seen you keynote several times. I haven't heard it. I'm patient. I'm, I'm waiting for that. So, 
Speaking of uh, seeing you keynote, I've seen you uh, keynote. Uh, I've been to two of the outbound conferences, which you do, which the four Titans do, and they are uh, Mark Hunter, uh, Anthony Anarino, Jeb Blunt, and uh, Mike Weinberg. And I think it's so interesting that the four of you are such close friends, and you all write phenomenal books. And this is the 11th interview I've done with one of the four Titans. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, you know, the, the, the title inked for this book, I got it from Anthony. I know. And uh, last Saturday, I was talking to him on the special series, which hopefully won't last a very long time, called Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And having read the acknowledgement to your book already, I asked him about that, and he, he told us that story. So you guys are very good friends, and you, you're always helping each other. And I don't know, you guys also have the, seem to have a cartel or some secret sauce for writing just phenomenal books. And I say that because... One of the reactions I have when I read your books is, first, I can imagine every one of you doing the audio version of your books, and I get kind of pumped up when I read them. I get, I get excited, and I'm thinking that may be what you wanted to do. Let me just read from the, uh, the foreword by Mike Weinberg, who we just mentioned. He's the author of New Sales Simplified and also the newer book, uh, Sales Truth. Mike wrote, I have been a top sales producer for 30 years and have read dozens of sales books, but I gain more keen insights and takeaways about successful negotiating from Inked than from all the others combined, and I'm confident you will too. That's because the book you're holding was written by today's most in-demand sales trainer specifically for sales professionals. Inked is real, powerful, and packed with concepts you can implement in your closing call. If you're looking to close more deals, earn higher commissions, crush quota, and qualify for President's Club, then this is the book for you. The reason Jeb Blunt is in such high demand, spends more nights in hotels than anyone I know of, and is affectionately known as the hardest working man in sales, is that what he teaches works. And one of the main themes running through Inked that Jeb wants readers to grasp is that sales negotiation is woven into the sales process rather than separate from it. Jeb beautifully demonstrates that negotiation isn't a single thing or simply a trick or technique. Successful sales negotiation requires mastery of the sales process, the right attitude, planning, tactics, technique, and emotional intelligence. Jeb, I want to read one other quick excerpt and get into it. This is the very beginning of the book. Uh, Chapter one, sales negotiation as a discipline. And It's as if you had a background in the the FBI, because you wrote, it was a dark night, no stars, black, cold, snow was falling. The only connection we had to the gunman inside the small mobile home was a cell phone. He was holding three hostages and threatening to kill them all. Earlier in the day, he'd lost his temper and in a fit of rage shot his wife. As the police arrived, responding to the 911 call, he'd taken her parents and his stepdaughter hostage. It was another sad case of domestic violence. Every attempt to negotiate a peaceful solution had been stonewalled. By the time I arrived, things were getting desperate. The gunman had become extremely agitated and fired several rounds at the SWAT team crouched in the snowy woods. He was surrounded with nowhere to go, a violent man with nothing to lose. Somehow, I had to convince him to back down and let the hostages go. It was a negotiation situation I'd found myself in many times before. Jeb Blunt, why did you start your book with that story? 
I wanted to make the point that in most negotiating books, and let me be clear, there are brilliant books on, you know, on the market about negotiation. And it's really hard to find bad books on negotiation because most of the people who write about negotiation are master negotiators. But those books really focus on these epic negotiations, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, in this situation, a hostage situation or you're, you know, you're sitting at a table in an international negotiation trying to, to put together a diplomatic solution for two countries. Or in the book I mentioned, Apple and Qualcomm, because that was in the news a while back where these two you know, mega organizations are, are, are basically negotiating over uh, intellectual property rights and patents. That's normally what you find. And in the book itself, the person who's writing about it is the hero of the negotiation because they're master negotiators. And, and I, I wanted to make the point by starting this way that that story for, for salespeople is total BS. It's <laughs> not, that is not what, what, what salespeople typically go through. And, and in fact, you're you're not going to read in the headlines about, you know, the the, the salesperson, uh, you know, that's working for, say, an agricultural company, putting together a deal with a farmer out in Iowa. You're never going to talk about that or the SaaS salesperson out of San Francisco putting together a deal with a midsize company that is in Texas. It's just not going to happen because sales negotiation is mundane. It's mostly boring. It happens over and over again, for a lot of salespeople, you're negotiating several times a day. It's happening through text and email and phone and, you know, sometimes in person. I mean, essentially these days, the sales negotiation table has been moved to the cloud. But at the same time, these negotiations in aggregate are have massive implications for companies because billions and billions of dollars are changing hands and, and billions of dollars in profit are at stake. And of course, commission checks and incomes are at stake based on how well these salespeople run these negotiations. And sadly, most sell, most books that are on negotiation and most training on negotiation treats negotiation as if it's something that's epic and happens separate from the sales process. And as Mike Weinberg aptly said in the, in the foreword, that's not the way it works in sales. The sales negotiation and the sales process are integrated and cannot be separated. And you must be good at one to be good at the other. Why do sales experts and sales trainers then tend to shy away from this subject of sales negotiation as you've just explained it? Because it's difficult. Negotiation is challenging, especially for people who live in Western societies. I have the, the as you say, the hardest working man in sales. I have the, the, the benefit and the privilege to travel all over the globe. So, you know, last year I spent a month in, in India and then went and spent you know, three more weeks in Nepal and I, you know, all over Asia and you will have all these different countries and different ways of doing things where in some cases negotiation is the norm. It's, you know, I remember being in Mumbai, this was two years ago on the street and I'm negotiating with a person for like, I don't know, 30 cents over some bobble that they were selling me. But like that's expected. I'm expected to negotiate. I, you know, being in the big souk in, uh, in, in Istanbul, if you don't negotiate, people think there's something wrong with you. And 
But in Western society in particular, we look at negotiating as something that's bad or uncouth. And if you think about most of the things that we buy, there's a price on it and we don't negotiate for it because negotiating makes us feel uncomfortable. So negotiating in and of itself, particularly in the Western world, is is challenging. At the same time, most people don't really understand negotiating. And part of that problem is this misnomer that the negotiating part of selling is something that is completely different from selling. And if you just look at sales training, almost no sales training that companies put together, almost no sales training that big big training organizations put together include negotiating as a module. And even if they do, it's something that they just sort of, they get past. It's no different really than objections. Objections and negotiating are put in some bucket someplace where you kind of talk about them at the end, but you don't really talk about how it works. So so they, they, these, these trainers in particular don't really understand how it works and they shy away from it. And then at the same time, companies will go hire these big negotiating organizations who do tons of negotiating training that by the way, is really, really good. I want to make sure I'm not casting aspersions on these companies. I've been through their training. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Like for procurement people. It, for procurement people, for you know, for lawyers, for executives, for anybody that's negotiating, it's out there. But you could be in a room with a bunch of people who come from all these different jobs. They don't understand how to sell. So you've got a person teaching you how to negotiate that doesn't understand how to sell. So how would they possibly understand that the thing that you did in the initial meeting set up a, a successful negotiating? They don't understand that. They look at negotiating as something that just happens versus something that's a process. So this book says Yes, look, you you have to negotiate in every part of your life, everywhere you go. I, I mean, I negotiate every day with my wife. So do you, and and we all are negotiating with you know with the people around us. How's that but working out? Negotiating I, with Carrie does not work out well. Um, so I'm, okay, that's the one exception. Well, maybe your son, but go ahead. That was negotiating negotiating for something this week, and she just looked at me and said, "I don't know if you recognize this, but everything here is mine. I, I own it." And 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 you're just along for the ride. So I suggest you sit down and watch Tiger King on the, on the couch. So. You know, she's doing you a favor by infusing a little humility into your life. There, That's exactly so. right. That's what she says her job is, is to hold me down. Yes. Thank you, so. Carrie. You, you will be going to heaven for that. So <laughs> so if anybody's going to heaven in my family, it is definitely Carrie. Um, <laughs> right. So so I think that we have to think, we have to, we have to look at salespeople and say, you are going to have to negotiate because you're in sales. People are going to ask you for price reductions. They're going to ask you for terms and condition changes. That is going to happen. You have to accept it. And by the way, most of the people you negotiate are going to be better at negotiating than you are, and they're going to have more power than you do. So if you want to become a better negotiator, we have to begin with the entire sales process and think about that as game strategy from the very beginning, recognizing that you're going to have to negotiate. And if, by the way, if you're good enough in the sales process, sometimes you don't have to negotiate. That that happens too, and and start there versus treating negotiating as a separate uh, sort of uh, process from everything else. Yes, and Jeb, we're talking about ink, and I'm, the following question is not intended to plug uh, what is probably one of your best-selling books, Fanatical Prospecting. But you, you in this book, you explain that most salespeople suck at negotiating for some of the reasons you just outline, outlined there, and that buyers are generally better at negotiating than sellers. But for everyone's 
sake, remind us what is the number one reason salespeople are in a weak position uh, and lack emotional discipline at the sales negotiation table? There's no doubt about it. It's, It's the pipeline. So if you're prospecting on a regular basis and you have a big pipeline, you instantly become a better negotiator. Because with a big pipeline, you instantly gain the ability to sell without having to sell, to negotiate without having to negotiate. And, and, and if you just think about power, power at the negotiation table is derived from alternatives. So typically, buyers have more alternatives than salespeople. But as a salesperson, the best way to have alternatives is have the ability to say, well, if I can't close you at the price that I want, I've got three or four other opportunities that are all looking really good, and I can close one of those. And that allows you to gain instant emotional control. You get you get from having a full pipeline, relaxed, assertive confidence. And this is why I say the pipe is life. The pipe is everything. You start with a full pipeline, the rest of the sales process gets infinitely easier. Yeah, and your prospect can smell the confidence and uh, the fact that you don't have uh, commission breath. Um, one other concept that was in the book that kind of surprised me and I think is worth talking about is you write that win-win, you know, the concept win-win. You, you describe it as the warm blanket of delusion where your commission check and your company's profits curl up to die. So explain what you mean when you say that salespeople delude themselves into believing that everyone needs uh, to win uh, and that negotiated outcomes must be fair and equitable. Perfect. Well, first of all, that's the narrative that buyers tell salespeople. So if the buyer is saying, look, we all need to have a fair outcome, then the salesperson feels like they need to get there. So they first, they, they, get, they start getting that messaging from the buyer. But worse than that, we use win-win because win-win makes us feel good. Negotiating is conflict. It, in and of itself, that's what it is. It's controlled conflict. It's, it's organized conflict, but it is conflict. So win-win says, oh, there's not going to be any conflict. It's kumbaya, where everybody's going to win in this situation. Except for one thing, the people that you are negotiating with are not negotiating for win-win. They are negotiating to win for their team. So as a salesperson, you have to realize that when you're walking into a negotiating, they're not a negotiation, they're not doing that for you. They're doing it for them. And your job as a salesperson is to win for your team. Your job is to negotiate the best deal for your organization that preserves profits and, oh, by the way, delivers the most income for you and your family with one constraint. The relationship matters. So you also have to think about the long-term relationship. Now, certainly if you're negotiating Let's say you're negotiating at a flea market, and this book is not teaching you how to negotiate a flea market, but if you're doing that and you're never going to see this person again, the relationship doesn't matter. I mean, you can negotiate as hard as you want to, walk away or what have you, but if you're negotiating an enterprise-level deal and you're going to be working with this company for a long time, you can't negotiate and forget about the relationship, but that doesn't change the fact that your job is to win for your team and protect the relationship. So it's all about a mindset shift. It's a shift of instead of going in with the mindset that I need to give things away to make my buyer happy, equating a happy buyer with a win for everybody is that I have to negotiate to preserve my margins to make sure that I've left enough in the deal so that I can service this company and give them the 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 service and the and, and that they expect and that they need 
and not re- create resentment on my end, in particular with my own operations team, because I didn't leave enough in the deal. And at the same time, I have to pay attention to their needs and focus on what's important to them and work out a deal that that everybody can be happy with, or at least you know they feel good about. But the win-win piece goes away. And instead, you think about what am I doing to create a deal where I'm not resentful of the deal and they're not resentful of the deal? Because I don't focus on win-win. I I focus on do people walk away and feel like they didn't get a fair shake? That's that's the biggest issue. And that is saying – I'm looking at the long-term relationship. I'm looking at what am I doing that's 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 making this this relationship better that at the same time does not create resentment, which and oftentimes leads to contempt, which is a, a big problem. I in the book I call that the those two emotions, the gangrene of relationships, resentment and con- and contempt. So in negotiating, I'm not thinking about can I create a win-win? I'm thinking about how do I reduce or eliminate the possibility that either party, me or them, will feel resentment over the deal. Well, let's talk a bit more about that. You write that people negotiate first and foremost for satisfaction and contentment, which is the opposite of resentment and contempt. Explain what you mean when you say that people are negotiating first and foremost for satisfaction and contentment. Well, I'll give you I give you a great example. Go to the market in Istanbul, which is one of the greatest places in the world to go if you ever want to have a good time. And if you if you go into any of the booths and you buy something, you'll you'll they'll sell it to you at whatever price. But you walk away and you feel like a complete schmuck because you know you could have gotten it for, for, at a much lower price. So you don't feel very good about yourself. N- and by the way, neither do they because they didn't feel like the game got played. So you go in and you, you know, like I, when I'm there and I'm, I'm negotiating, I'll walk away five or 10 times. And then at the end, everybody's happy. Like everybody feels like they, they won in that situation. I'm not talking about a win-win. We just feel good about it because we played the game. So on one side, if you went, let's say you gave a proposal to a buyer and the buyer said, well, you know, will you do it at this? And you went, yep. And you said, sign the deal. In that particular moment, the buyer could actually feel resentment because they feel like, you know what? I probably could have gotten more out of that. Yeah, you just caved. You, know, you just you caved on me. At the same time, let's say that you've got a buyer that's working really, really hard to get you to come down your prices. And you do that because you really, really need the deal. But then you you have this deal that's a really low margin deal. And then the buyer is super demanding on their side because the contract said that you had to deliver at a particular level, but you don't feel good about it because you're not getting paid enough to jump through all the hoops the buyer wants you to go through. You feel resentment. And by the way, I've been there. I've been on that situation, especially early on when I started my company, but I've done this in big corporations too, where I made some deals that I later regretted deeply because the buyer's level of expectation for me was so much higher than when I was getting paid that I began to feel resentment and contempt for that particular buyer. So I've learned those lessons enough time to realize that, you know, when I start looking at it, I'm always looking at the unintended consequences to the relationship. So satisfaction and contentment means that I walk away and I feel good that I stood up for myself and did a uh, did a good job to win for my team. At the same time, I feel like I can go tell my boss, hey, I did a good job. But for a lot of 
people in purchasing who are essentially in a lot of cases, and, and if anybody's listening from purchasing, don't take this the wrong way. But <laughs> they're not bad times, people, yes. They're just, but they come, they, they come off as robots. Even they want to feel self-worth. That they want to feel like they did they did worthwhile work, and part of that worthwhile work is they're able to go back to their organization and say, "I was able to save you this much money because I'm a good negotiator." So you want to make sure that you're keeping that in you know in mind because negotiating is deeply emotional. Going back to your question, why don't a lot of sales trainers address them, uh, negotiating because it feels bad to them? It feels like conflict. It's deeply emotional. However. We have to understand that you think you think they're negotiating for a price. They're just negotiating to feel like they walked away and they accomplished something. And that doesn't always mean that you have to give them a discount. Sometimes it can mean that you just change the shape of the deal or you're able to give them something away that they can feel good about. They can say, hey, I got something, even though it didn't really cost you any money to give that thing away. We, we call that in the book funny money, which is not my term. Uh, I think I first heard that term from Zig Ziglar, but it's um but it's it's using it's using uh things that don't cost you anything that you can give away that make people feel really good so you're able to preserve your margins and at the same time give them some le- level of contentment and satisfaction let's jump to something that's at the very end of the book and it's an a- equation that uses two terms that you've talked about throughout the book and it was uh, it actually had to do with value and it was ROI equals uh, MBOs plus e EBOs minus price. And MBO and EBO, I hadn't seen that before and I loved it. Explain what a measurable business outcome is and its counterpart, the emotional business outcome. I don't see how any of this works if a seller doesn't get those two things. And this also applies to content that marketers are trying to produce to help their sales team. Sure. Well, if you just think about what do people buy, they buy business outcomes, essentially. So if you sit down with a group of stakeholders and you go through the sales process and you do discovery and you build a business case, your business case should be able to say to them, if you buy my product or service, this is the outcome that you're going to generate. And it, that could that could be an outcome that's not measurable. However, if it's measurable, you have math, right? So when someone's saying to you, I need you to do this for me. You can get your calculator out and say, "Listen, this is what this is what this is already doing for you." So that's a measurable business outcome. And what salespeople should be focused on during discovery is figuring out what the outcomes that their stakeholders want and how do they measure those outcomes because that's your business case. And the better business case that you build using MBOs, measurable business outcomes, the less likely people are even going to negotiate with you. If you do a really really good job of building the business case, in a lot of in a lot of situations. And, and I find this happens to me more than you can possibly imagine. I, I, I made me negotiate 20% of the time. The buyer says, that makes perfectly good sense. Let's do business. Emotional outcomes are, are, are at the stakeholder level. So every single stakeholder in a deal, whether it's one or a wide array in a bigger deal, they all have a, a success criteria or something that they think is, is important to them. So their success criteria is what do I personally get from this? Now, that could be saving them time. It could be contentment and satisfaction. It could be um, that they look good to their boss. It could be that this is something that they feel is going to enhance their world. It doesn't really make a difference what it is. But we, but this is what we call success criteria. Success criteria and evaluation criteria, by the way, don't just break those up. Evaluation criteria is at the enterprise level. That's a measurable business outcome. 
And that also could be what type of vendor you are. There, there could be a series of things that they evaluate their vendors on. Success criteria is at the individual level. So this is the, the, the individual's motivation to do business with you and what they get out of it. So when you have someone looking at the value of a deal, so how, you know, here's the, here's a total value of the deal, which is what you're typically negotiating. It's the, it's the measurable business outcomes plus the emotional outcomes that they get minus the cost, right? That's the, that's the intrinsic value. And you say, well, you can't measure the emotional outcome. No, you can't measure the emotional outcome, but you can talk about the emotional outcome. And early in the book, I talk about MLP strategy, which is motivation, leverage, and power. And the emotional outcomes, that is, a mo- that is the motivation, the motivation to do business with you as an individual and the motivation to achieve these individual success criteria that matter. And you can't lose sight of that. But that's, and that's why we build relationships with people. That's why we do deep discovery. That's why we're asking questions. We're trying to understand that. So when I'm putting together a proposal, so for example, if I'm sitting down and I teach marketers this as well is, this is the hero's journey of a recommendation is I might say, you know, Douglas, one of the big issues that you explained to me is that you're having a hard time getting your salespeople to build their pipe adequately, which causes issues down the road and that you're giving away 20 and 30% discounts because at the end of every quarter, you're desperate to sell anything. And for you personally, this is causing a lot of stress because at the end of the quarter, you feel like the entire world got turned upside down. And, and marketing is being blamed for weak leads or something like that. Yeah, exactly right. And so I say what we recommend is what that we implement a fanatical prospecting boot camp and process for your team. And we do this over a 13-week period. If we do that, what's going to happen is two things. One is we're going to increase the size of your pipeline by 30%. We've, we've seen with our other clients, and I provide you with the case studies, that we will reduce your discounts on average by 17%. That's going to result in $2 million in additional profit to the bottom line. But at the same time, because we're building the pipelines earlier and we're really thinking about how we're managing the pipeline, you're going to have way less stress at the end of the quarter. And you're going to be able to confidently tell your boss that you're going to make your forecast. So what did I do? In that moment, I gave you MBOs plus emotional outcomes, right? And then I attached math to it, which is value. And that's really simple. And if we do those things and we walk through that in our proposal, this is, this is the, you know, when we start thinking about, you cannot separate the sales process from the negotiating. When I do that and you come to me and say, well, Jeb, you know, it, this costs a little bit more than we wanted to pay. I just get my calculator out said right now you're losing this much money on every single deal because of these, these things. If you do this, you're going to make this much money. Doesn't it make sense for us to move forward? It's hard to debate that mm. because I have math, and I. But you can't, you can't separate or, or, or forget that there is emotion driving this. This is the individual level. There's motivation at the individual level, and there is math behind that. And you have to be able to do both things. Right. I think at that point you're splitting atoms, and if you've got that uh, emotional benefit. Um, you are, uh, well, I think you're going to become the vendor of choice. And that's why in your book, another concept that was so helpful is that you don't negotiate until you already know that you're the vendor of choice. And too many people are negotiating through the process before they're selected, before they're uh, picked as the one that they want to move forward with. But 
in the remaining time that we have, I just wanted to ask you about mastering our emotions. And you explain, and I've seen you talk, I've seen you on front of a big stage with this on the screen talking about, you know, mastering your emotions is the real secret to mastering sales negotiation. And if, if you could explain why disruptive emotions for salespeople are like kryptonite to Superman and what they are and, and how people can try to better control them. Well, let's just go back to the the fact that most buyers are better trained and are better negotiators than most sellers. I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with salespeople. I'm just stating a fact. And Part of that is because most buyers go to negotiating training and most sellers don't, but most buyers also are in a better power position. We also know that negotiating feels like conflict and it's uncomfortable. And most human beings, given the opportunity not to negotiate, if you said you can buy this with negotiating or you can buy this without negotiating, would choose to buy it without negotiating. So most people don't like to negotiate. So if we put those two things together, we recognize that all of that is emotional and buyers know how to, they just know how to pull your emotional strings. (laughs) You go through that in the book. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, And I've been, I've been subjected to every one of the ones you, you, you outlined. (laughs) We all have like, and so they hit you with these things. And so if you have, you know, um, if you have an emotional hang up, like you, you crack or you, you give away your poker face. And what we talk about is relaxed assertive confidence. So this is the most powerful emotional foundation for salespeople, relaxed, assertive confidence. So right before I got on this call, I had a, a client ask me for a price reduction. Now they didn't ask me specifically. They just said, we really want to save money. And the way that I answered that and I feel very confident with this and, 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 and there, and everybody's asking for a discount right now in this particular economy. I just said it costs exactly the same to do it this way as it does that way. However, where you're going to get your savings from is that you're not going to have to do this, 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 and this. And the person said, okay. And we just moved on. Now, I don't know if it's not going to come back again because it may come back again. But relaxed assertive confidence said, I'm not going to crack. I'm not going to change my demeanor. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to answer that confidently because what I said was true and I believe it. I'm not, I'm not changing, you know, the way, the way that I work. But if I went, if I said, well, you know, we, you know, I don't know, like it's really hard for us to do that. Or, you know, if I have to, maybe we could go back and look at if I did all that, I mean, instantly I'm negotiable. And if they believe that I'm negotiable, you can bet they're going to keep pushing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so in that particular moment, because a, I got a full pipeline, really full pipeline, and I'm, I'm not in a position where I really have to negotiate anything. I'm just in a much better position to say, this is what, this is what I can do for you. Here's the measurable business outcome. But at the same time, you really want me to deliver this training for you. So if you really want me to deliver the training for you, this is what we have to do to get there. And, and I can show you how we can save you money, but it's not going to come from this particular bucket. So as a salesperson, what you have to do is you have to manage your emotions. And there's a couple of things you can do. One, fill up your pipeline, just prospect, prospect, prospect. Two is go into negotiating with, you know, with relaxed assertive confidence, but do it over and over and over again. You have to build up your your emotional immunity, right, to the conflict of negotiating. One of the ways that you can do this, and there's a YouTube video that I have. I was in 
um, The Hague uh, uh, in the Netherlands. And I walked out of my hotel. There was a big, a big, huge flea market going on. And I, I walked out and I spent an afternoon just negotiating. And, and I shot a video about it because it's a great way to practice negotiating because you're interacting with people and you're having conversations. So why not go ahead and, and, and do that so you can do it over and over again. But at the same time, you have to, 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 you know, to, when you're in situations with buyers, you got to turn on your confidence. So one is pipeline. The other is sales process. So the thing that gives me confidence when I'm negotiating is I built the business case. I did the discovery. Far too many salespeople skip the process it's hello, you want to buy. That's basically what they do. They didn't meet all the stakeholders. They didn't really understand the business. And if you don't do those things, it's natural to feel a great deal of you know trepidation when you walk into a negotiating because you know you got nothing. Like you're the emperor with no clothes. You have no case to build. You have no idea what the measurable business outcomes are. You have no idea what the emotional outcomes and you can't get your calculator out and do math. And at that moment, you just become or, or basically you, you are at the mercy of the people that you're negotiating with. Let me just add to that. You say the most important lesson in the book, the real secret to inking deals and gaining power at the sales negotiating table is mastering, controlling and executing the sales process. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that was great. Jeb, you say that nothing you learn in this book matters a hill of beans if you're not dealing with qualified prospects. Why do sellers deal with so many unqualified prospects and what could they be doing to avoid that? I say, you know, I, I say this in every single book. So from People Buy You that I wrote in 2010 to now, I say exactly the same thing because I can teach you how to sell. I can teach you how to negotiate. I can teach you how to do discovery. But if you're dealing with people who, A, don't have the ability to buy because they're the wrong person or they're under contract or they don't have a budget, uh, then it doesn't make a difference. You can be the best person in the entire world. You're not going to make the sale. Uh, if you are, if your timing is wrong, so the, the buying window is not there or they're not a good fit for your product and sometimes they're just not a good fit. If you're doing those things, it doesn't matter. And a great example of that is I was working with a group of uh, Chinese sales professionals in Shanghai back in the fall. And we were, we were going through their pipelines and they sell a, a product that is made by an American company into, uh, into Chinese companies. And their pipelines were full of Chinese owned businesses, basically Chinese owned bank, Chinese owned, you know, government owned companies. And the, the problem was not that they didn't have budget because they had budget. The problem was not that uh, they couldn't. They couldn't buy because they could buy. There was no reason. And they certainly had lots of people working there. So the product they were selling made a lot of sense. The problem was is that these Chinese government-owned locations were very unlikely to buy an American-made product because it made more sense, like just like it does in the United States, that a government-owned entity is going to buy from Chinese manufacturers, Chinese salespeople, just like in the U.S., you know, our our government, our our military is much more likely to buy from USA-made products because it's from a political standpoint that just makes sense. And as I was pointing this out to them, th the problem was they were chasing deals that, from a technical standpoint and a size standpoint, looked really really good. The fit was wrong, and we had to rework the pipelines. So salespeople do this all the time. They, they're looking, they're not looking at the entire picture. So they're putting things in that sound really good. 
The second reason is that they just don't have a big enough pipeline. So if you don't have a big enough pipeline, you're just calling on anybody that will talk to you. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that will talk to you that won't buy from you. They enjoy the company. You'll, you'll buy them lunch or you know, you'll have conversations with them. And it goes on and on and on, but you don't actually close anything. So for a salesperson, you got to recognize that you got to be dealing with people who can actually buy from you for all the reasons and will buy from you. And at that point, then you can sell them something. And the, the best way that I can explain this is uh, I um, won just about every award I, that you could possibly get when I was in sales, as you know, in corporate sales. And I stood on stage, won President's Club, President's Circle, you name it, went on every trip, did those things. And the second year that I won the award for the you know best salesperson in one of my early companies, and I was standing in front of this big group and the chairman of the board said, well, you know, you've been here twice now. What is it? What's your secret? And I just, I just spit it out. It just came off the top of my head, but it's actually was the truth. I just said, I don't spend any time with people who aren't going to buy from me. <laughs> and, and no, people don't really understand that. Like, like, how can it be possible? You don't spend time with people to buy from you. Like, look, everybody doesn't buy from me, but I'm very careful that as soon as I figure out that they can't buy from me, I'm out. And it's just like, I don't negotiate with people who haven't already made the choice to buy from me. Mm -hmm. Once you've made the choice to buy from me, and it usually sounds like this, hey, Jeb, I really want to do business with you, but, okay, great. I love that. I can work with you. I can negotiate anything. If you're ready, if you're ready to buy from me, I'll work out a deal with you. But I'm not going to negotiate before that happens because if I negotiate before that happens, not only do I give away all my leverage, but I'm usually just negotiating with myself rather than with the person that can buy from me. Mm-hmm. So, Jeb, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope it would be that you understand that negotiating in sales is an entire process, not a single event. And if you, if you read the book, focus on the MLP strategy portion of that book and think about how that applies to the way that you sell. Certainly sales is not black and white. There are, you know, there are different products, different services, different sales cycles. But if you look at it as a game board and you start thinking to yourself, I'm going to plan my negotiating at the very beginning when I say hello, I promise you that you'll make more money, your company will get greater profits, and, and you will walk away from deals feeling so much better about yourself with a greater self-esteem and much higher level of confidence. Definitely. Having read the book, I can guarantee the, the reader would, would think that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to your site and your social media and your LinkedIn profile so listeners can connect with you and, and learn more about awesome. you. And thank you for joining the show. And also, I want to mention, because Jeb didn't, there's a $1,200 12-month membership package with this purchase if you go to the website that's in the book and put in that code. <laughs> Very nice. For you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Inked, The Ultimate Guide to Powerful Closing and Sales Negotiation Tactics that Unlock Yes and Seal the Deal. The author is Jeb Blunt. Jeb, thank you very much for joining us for the fourth time on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. And that closes the book on episode 280 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, 
feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to then point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And if you'd like to record a question that could be played and answered on a future episode, please email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Nick Morgan to talk about his timely book, Can You Hear Me? How to Connect with People in a Virtual World. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, Jeb, I realize you paid over half a million dollars for that, but even more importantly, you've got a better production studio than Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Damn right I do.